Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church New Bern podcast. My name is Paul Scott Chernitsky. I am your host, and I am joined again by my co-host, Anna. Hi, Paul Scott. Are we running on caffeine this morning? We had a bit very busy t- time yesterday <laughs> and into the night, and today I drive for work to Philadelphia. Wait, you're driving? We're driving. Um, I present at a tech education conference. What, you're presenting? I, not only am I attending, but yes, I am presenting. What are you? A- wait, wait. Wait, are you presenting on the funniest, most awesome church pastor boss you've ever had? Uh, close. It's a, more about Lego and robots. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, close. I was, I was right there. But here we are. It is uh, before service on Sunday, a beautiful day, and we are in our Holy Curiosity yes. uh, Summer Sermon Series, unofficial title. And uh, well, last week you had a tricky one, and I said yes. in the podcast, I said, I we are thankful for you that you get to lead these discussions because I don't think anyone would have wanted to be up there um, talking about gun violence. Yes. And, and after the sermon, there's certainly some things I would go back and be very clear about. Um, I would probably modify some of it just because once people hear it, then you understand how your words are conveyed. And so I got feedback all across the board. I think it was a good conversation starter. I heard people who didn't like the sermon. I heard people that... Um, were okay with the sermon, but just really didn't want to hear it at church. And I also heard from people who were so very, very grateful that we were willing to tackle a really tough topic for faith in their own lives. So um, not something I want to do every week, because I think, I mean, one of the challenges of preaching is that you're supposed to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. And so every week, you don't want to have these sermons that are so challenging. Some weeks, it should be kinder and comforting. I mean, you want to have different things. So I don't, I don't want to do any one thing every week. Okay. And then so this week, then mm-hmm. we move on from that to a different curiosity. And this was questions about miracles. Miracles. And as I say in the sermon, it, if my handwriting analysis is correct, I got this question from both young people and older people. Um, do did, Were miracles real? Do we have to believe them? Um, there was even one question that I ended up not tackling just because you can't do everything in one sermon, who said sometimes they feel like we talk about Jesus' resurrection so much. It's like we're trying to convince ourselves that it's important. You know, that if it if it really happened, why would we have to talk about it so much? And that's a fascinating observation that had never ever occurred to me. Um, and I'm so grateful that that person talked about it because it'll show up at some point somewhere, just not today. Okay. Well, I think this whole holy curiosity uh, series is like my favorite. I like it a lot. I'm enjoying it. And and. The best thing for me is that I want to be relevant to where people are. And so that feels really good. But I also know it's hard because not every sermon is for every person. There's going to be, there are going to be some questions that other people are asking that's not your question. And it's not something that concerns you or worries you. So, um, so I know that not every sermon is for everybody, but I do hope that we can all find ways and, and, I'm delighted in the questions people asked, even if they're not my questions. I'm so excited that they asked them. Well, I'm questioning why I say yes to so many things and go to Philadelphia, but I do have to get going. I know so, why you're going to Philadelphia. It's to meet one of the main characters from Abbott Elementary for me. Yeah. And, you know, fun fact, I, my sister was excited, too, because I guess she used to be in The Walking Dead, apparently. Did not watch that yeah, show. Yeah, me neither. So, yeah. Anyways, happy trails, everyone. I hope you have a less busy week than I do. And if you do have just as busy a week as I do, and probably Anna does, <laughs> uh, just breathe, 
Just um, just relax and prioritize. That's what I tell my teachers at school. Just relax, be happy, prioritize. Thanks, Paul Scott. I'm grateful for you. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to this sanctuary. We come to this time from many different places, different moods, different experiences, and yet we gather here. We gather here and come to your word. So set aside the things that distract us. Set aside the things that keep us from hearing and help us in this time to focus on your word and the things you want us to know. We ask it in your name. Amen. Our scripture reading for today, we have two scripture readings from the Gospel of Luke and then the Gospel of Matthew. We'll start with Luke, the 24th chapter. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you frightened and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet, see that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And from the Gospel of Matthew, the 14th chapter. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go to the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and all ate and were filled and they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, women and children besides. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today in the series we have called Holy Curiosity, where I have invited all of you to share questions with me. We've got a question that crosses, at least if my own handwriting analysis is correct, generations. Both children and adults asked questions about miracles. What are we to do about miracles? Did they really happen? Do we have to believe in them? And what about the ultimate miracle, Jesus' resurrection? Did it really happen? How did it really happen? 
Well, maybe in beginning to answer this question or these questions, we should start with a basic one. What is a miracle? Harry Emerson Fosdick describes it as an unforeseen possibility. An unforeseen possibility. It should not be possible. It should not be easily explainable. And we find these miracles, these unforeseen possibilities throughout the Bible. In a wonderful sermon about miracles, the Reverend Joanna Adams says, from cover to cover, the Bible is filled with miracle stories. Choose a book. Ezekiel, bones that lie dry and lifeless in the middle of a valley are knit back together. How about Exodus? Moses stretches out his hands and the waters of the Red Sea part. The Psalms, O oh Lord, I have cried out to you and you have healed me. The New Testament, she says, are, it's filled with miracles as well. Water is turned into wine, lame people walk, blind people see, demons disappear. And in the sixth chapter of John, we encounter not one, but two miracle stories. First, Jesus feeds the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish, and he walks across the Sea of Galilee. She says, sometimes our modern minds have a hard time believing in the miraculous as it comes to us from the ancient texts of scripture, which were written, after all, for and by people who were well accustomed to miracles. They had no trouble with the miraculous. We likely lean more in the direction of incredulity. Maybe there was a big stash of fish hidden in behind a tree or a bush, along with more bread. And that's what Jesus used to feed all those people. Maybe the disciples in the boat only dreamed that they saw Jesus walking on the water. Our minds don't do well with things we can't explain. And so sometimes when we hear something we can't explain, we fill in the blanks with something we can explain or something we can understand. And sometimes when we do that with miracles, it actually enhances the meaning of the miracle. Carol talked this morning about one of the understandings of the feeding of the 5,000 that appears in all four Gospels. And I'll never forget the moment, even though it was 30 years ago, when a professor introduced this idea to me, that the feeding of the 5,000 wasn't about a few loaves and fishes miraculously turning into more food. The true miracle was when 5,000 people, and truthfully, if that's just the men and you have women and children, it's probably more like eight to 10,000, they share the food they had, that they had brought, that they stored away, that they were scared to share. And when everyone shared what they had, not only was there enough for everyone, there was more than enough for everyone. When my professor shared that with me, it blew my mind. I had never heard such a thing. I had never thought such a thing. I thought the miracle was just exactly what was on the page. And that understanding brought more. What if people could share? What an image of the world that painted for me. What can happen when we understand and trust abundance? Sometimes explaining a miracle can enhance our faith. But sometimes our attempts to explain end up trying to explain God or make God more manageable. We're not alone in this, of course. The world of biblical times might have been used to miracles, but even Jesus' resurrection was beyond the realm of normal. 
The Bible tells us that Jesus' followers were also asking these questions. They were asking, was Jesus really resurrected? Did that really happen? And if so, how did it happen? The gospel accounts don't tell us how it was happening. And they too wondered, was this real or was this an apparition? Something they were imagining because they missed their friend so deeply. They were so deeply grieving that they just imagined that they saw Jesus there. They were creating ways to see him. They'd seen or they'd heard about Jesus on the cross after all. They'd seen or they heard that he was in the tomb. And it's one of the things that makes this passage from Luke so lovely. Jesus doesn't hide from their questions. He presents himself to them. They can touch him because everybody knows you can't touch a ghost. And he eats a piece of broiled fish because everybody knows. I think there's a rule somewhere. Ghosts can't eat actual food. (laughs) Jesus doesn't shy away from this. He meets them where they are. And that's when the glad reunion happens, when they trust what he says. As songwriter Justin Roberts imagines this scenario with the disciples calling out, is it you? Is it you who called us from our boats? Is it you who made our troubles float down the rivers, down the streams and avenues? Is it you? Is it you who walked on the water? Is it you who told us of the Father who forgives the Son and who makes the world brand new? Is it you? Then pull up a chair and tell us what we've missed. All the times we ate till we were full. Then pull up a chair and think about the kiss. Made us feel like our hopes and dreams were through. Have some broiled fish. It's your favorite dish. Didn't think we knew? Must be you. Is it you? Yes. Now you probably already know that I'm not going to definitively answer the question that's been asked. I'm not going to definitively answer whether or not these miracles are real and about whether or not we are required to believe them. Maybe the sea didn't really part, but instead experienced some sort of extreme tide or mini tsunami so that Moses could lead the people away from Egypt. Maybe the star in the sky that the wise ones followed was a comet shooting through the sky. Maybe Mary got pregnant the old-fashioned way. Maybe Lazarus wasn't really dead, but in a coma that ended when Jesus called him out of the tomb. Maybe the disciples' grief was so intense that they really did imagine that they saw and talked to Jesus. Maybe. But I cannot help but wonder, when we try and explain the miracles, when we try and explain the miracles of the Bibles in rational ways, if we aren't really revealing more about ourselves, about how much we are willing to let God transform our lives by measuring how much we are willing to allow ourselves to understand what God is truly capable of. And maybe we think that if we can explain the unforeseen possibilities that happen in the Bible, we might just be off the hook when God wants us to embrace the unforeseen possibilities that we are called to live, that we are called to engage in for our own discipleship. If miracles didn't really happen, then maybe we're not really called to do what is unforeseen, to bring about peace and feed the hungry and follow Jesus even unto the cross. 
Maybe. In the Bible, miracles never just stand alone. They are always ways to show God's compassion, but they are also intended to point us towards God. They never are just an end unto themselves. They illuminate something about God's love for us, God's willingness to meet us in our needs, to meet us where we are wounded. But that's always been a steep hill to climb. Because if you're thirsty or you're sick or you're tired and someone comes along and in an unforeseenly possible way, impossible way, alleviates that hunger or that illness, you often don't want to think about the bigger picture. And Jesus frequently asks people not to talk about the miracles because he's worried he'll be seen more as a magician than a messiah, a vending machine rather than a road sign. Miracles are complicated in the Bible. Because they're never just unto themselves. I remember one of the ways I've transformed thinking about miracles is something that happened almost 20 years ago when our daughter Sarah Allen was born. So many people would see this beautiful baby and say, oh, isn't it just a miracle? And I'd say, no, no, absolutely not. I carried this baby for nine months. My skin stretched. I was in labor for 36 hours, and now I'm in postpartum wilderness. This may look like a miracle to you, but it was a lot of hard work for me. Sorry, I never said that out loud to people. So. It's a little louder than I thought it would be. But I'll tell you, I can't tell you how many times I've thought about that. I wonder if God felt the same way. Because people would experience a miracle and they'd immediately think, well, God, I want another miracle. Can you heal some more people? Can you do this? And I wonder if God ever thought, that was a lot of work. Can't you just say thank you? But miracles tell us something powerful about God. Richard Rohr offers what the miracles of Jesus, the signs and the wonders, the prophetic signs and wonders in the Hebrew scriptures too, are saying that we need to give God grace. That grace can create room for exception, not an inexorable wheel of certitude or causality, but leave wiggle room around everything for something more, something better, something good. Miracles remind us that there is more than what we see or know. Do we have to believe in miracles? No. Are we invited to believe in miracles? Yes. Not as a way to escape the challenges of life, but as a way to go deeper into them and the ways that God can transform us through them. And I cannot help but wonder if when we try and explain the miracles of the Bible in rational ways, if we aren't revealing more about ourselves, about how much we are willing to let God transform our own lives by measuring how much we allow God to be capable of, if we can explain the unforeseen possibilities that happen in the Bible, are we then off the hook when God wants us to do something that we think is an unforeseen impossibility for our own lives, our own discipleship? Knowing what God can do, and therefore what we can do when we submit to God's will and follow him more than we follow our own plans, our minds, our hearts. Wendell Berry in his poem, Manifesto, The Mad Farmer Liberation Front, 
a poem that has guided me through almost every single season of my life, ends the poem with two simple words, practice resurrection. Maybe miracles aren't just about whether or not we believe in them, but an invitation to share them, to lean into them, to practice them, to practice resurrection. This is a well-known phrase at this point because that poem is very famous. Eugene Peterson even took that one phrase and wrote a whole book based just on those two words. And in it, he says, practice resurrection strikes just the right note. We live our lives in the practice of what we do not originate and cannot anticipate. When we practice resurrection, we continuously enter into what is more than we are. When we practice resurrection, we keep company with Jesus, alive and present, who knows where we are going better than we do, which is always from glory unto glory. Do we have to believe in miracles? Do we have to believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus? No. Are we invited to believe in them? Will it change us? Yes. Finally, William Sloan Coffin. Miracles do not a Messiah make, but a Messiah can do miracles. If you ask me if Jesus literally walked on water, I will answer, for certain I do not know. But this I do know. Faith must be lived before it is understood. And the more it is lived, the more things become possible. I can also report that in home after home, I have seen Jesus change beer into furniture, sinners into saints, hate-filled relations into loving ones, cowardice into courage, the fatigue of despair into the buoyancy of hope. In instance after instance, life after life, I have seen Christ be God's power unto salvation, and that's miracle enough for me. Are we required to believe in miracles? No. Are we invited to believe in them? Yes. Alleluia. Amen. I ended the sermon with words from William Sloan Coffin, and I thought we'd end the service with some words from him again. May God give you the grace never to sell yourself short. Grace to risk something big for something good. And grace to remember that the world is too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. Alleluia. Amen. Uh.